You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is episode three of Fifth Avenue Faceoff, week two of the show officially underway. And the first week where we will actually have hockey to talk about. Uh, we will talk about the Colorado Avalanche who visit PPG Paints Arena this week and then a West Coast swing that the Pens have. We'll do so with Evan Rawal of Colorado Hockey Now. We will also talk to Seth Rohrbaugh of Trib Live. He's been covering the Pens uh Longer than some of you have been alive, to be quite honest, uh, and doing so exceedingly well at both uh, Trib Live and uh, stops before that at uh, the Post-Gazette and a few other places as well. Pleased to be joined by Eric Tangrady. Tango, how you doing today? Great, great. Uh, beautiful uh, Monday in Pittsburgh, overcast skies, so, uh, you know, just living. <laughs> just like any other day between like October 1st and April 1st in Western Pennsylvania. That's it. That's it. Now nah, we're yep. rolling with the punches. Excited to get some uh, some hockey, real hockey, back on the uh, the deck here. That was a tough, tough little weekend there for uh, National Hockey League. I mean, I think it was the talk of the town, and and, and they get they they go with uh, any news is you know, good news or whatever that bad news. Any is publicity is good publicity, right? Whew. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was something else. But anyways, let's let, get to get into it and talk some real hockey. As, as the kids say, that was cringe. Um, that was uh, that was tough. Some of it and. I mean, even, you know, the NFL had the Pro Bowl, too, and I don't know how exciting that was. All-Star games just in general. I don't know if you have any hot takes on All-Star games, but since you brought it up, I mean, I just don't know how you continue to change them without without just doing away with them eventually. That's what it feels like. Yeah, and, and I think that's the direction we're headed, right? When we talk about contact sports, like how do you how do you simulate, how do you replicate, like how do you have anything of substance that people want to watch when – you know, the amount of money these guys are being paid, the, the health, the concern, like all that um, is, is more important than the game. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I mean, I think people are dying for like the World Cup of hockey back. Like, let's just right. give everybody three weeks off and let's just roll with like a competitive World Cup of hockey, meaningful international play. I understand the money's not where it needs to be, but like, let, let's do that because I think that was the most exciting uh, you know, prequel to a hockey season we probably have ever had. 
yeah. when it comes to, it comes it comes to hockey. But yeah, I think when the physical aspect of the game with football, hockey, it's just tough to have anything of substance. Yeah, when there's no stakes involved, you're right. Guys are gonna guys are gonna coast, and guys aren't gonna look to put themselves in jeopardy. And why should they? Uh, furthermore, so before we get into the Pens specifically, let's talk about the first team they get out of the break. Oh ho hum, you get the Colorado Avalanche. Good luck, boys. Um, so you've got, we won't even get into the second tier of stars on this team, but let's just start with Kale McCarr on the back end and the ability to do just about anything from his defensive position, Nathan McKinnon up front as a coach and you coach at Shady side. So let's pretend you're going up against the team. That's got a uh, superstar forward talent and a couple guys surrounding him as well. And then a superstar defensive talent. And Oh, by the way, some pretty good guys working with him as well how do you approach a team like this do you try to focus on one and take them away how do you break it down for your guys and tell them uh, who do you attack you know what what's the plan when you go into a game against a team with this much talent yeah it's hard I mean when you look at McCarr like he has the ability to break pucks out of the zone and basically turn every rush into an odd man rush um, you, know, you get him with a head of steam, willing the net, like he's almost guaranteed to beat F1, and now we're playing five on four for 150 feet of ice. Um, so it, it's interesting. Like he, there's the mentality of like, let's just chip it in his corner and try and run him through the glass all night. Well, that guy has too much deception, too much speed, too much skill that, um, you know, sometimes too much respect can be uh, an issue. And I think that's what happens a lot with McKinnon. Like you, you focus on making sure you have an F3 above him at all times, above him at all times. But how do you match the speed of Nathan McKinnon when you're above him flat footed without a proper angle? Um, so for me, I, I just think that McCarr is a 20 to 25 minute guy. Um, I, I, arguably it's hard to choose one or the other, but when I look at like true game changers, like McCarr's ability to start breakouts, create offensive odd man rushes just off of his foot speed, his, his skill, uh, and then his ability at the offensive blue line, like, you know, the, you have to go out with poise and you have to, you know, you're not flying out there to finish a check because the second you get lost, he's behind you. You're behind him. That, that's what I was going to ask. You led right into it. Do you encourage physicality on the forecheck, like you said, from the F1, the first forward into the zone? Or do you say, hey, you can go in, but be prepared to turn and get on your horse and get back because if he blows by you, we can't have that five on four. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the big challenges that kind of presents the Pens, especially going into this matchup. It's like you have home ice, you 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 generally can match lines against a team offensively, but when it comes to a defenseman who's over the boards every other shift, like how do we how do we direct our tasks? Like you know, when you have, you have Crosby's line who's very skilled, hard on pucks, but not overly physical, um, you know, and then you have like, you know, the Rust and, the, and and Malkin and those guys like the Zuckers, they can play hard, hard minutes. Um, for me, it's like, let's just sustain, have some sustained offensive zone time. Let's, let's cycle the puck. Let's not be a one and done offensive team. Like let's win battles, pucks low to high to the net. Like let's make him work defensively. So he doesn't have that type of energy to come play offense. So let me ask you this, because as we talk about tactics and uh, how coaches handle a talented team like the Avalanche, let's widen it out and bring it back to a Penguins focused conversation, which, you know, Brian Burke kind of uh, blanched at this conversation last week when it was brought up. Uh, and the question was, you know, is Mike Sullivan's message getting stale? And I guess the question for you would be, you know, can the message get stale for a player? And if it does get stale for a player, what needs to happen both in the player's case and in the coach's place to freshen up that message, even if it remains, hey, let's be hard on pucks, 
F1 chase, chase, you know, if, if the, if the tactics remain the same, how do you freshen the message? I guess. Yeah. And it kind of comes to just like how the hierarchy of a locker room works, right? Like you, you have coaches who want to provide that spark, you know, show their passion, their desire through their work ethic and video tactically, how we're going to play um, when it comes to like the keys of the game and details and the way we want to play. Like, yes, that message can be tough. Like we talk about Tortorella as a coach, he can come in and he can like freshen up a, a young team and give them some life and desire. And then over time, like, you know, calling guys out in the media and doing a lot of those things like th that's how you lose a room. Now, that's not the situation here. But what you're saying is like, can can the direct source of the message get uh, a little bit watered down? And yes, absolutely. And I think then it comes down to the leadership group. OK, like you have not just Sid because uh, Sid's uh, at times can be a very vocal leader. Like after that, it has to kind of come from somebody who doesn't talk a whole lot. Right. You have those unsung heroes in your locker rooms, the type of guys who um, you know, let their play do their talking that might just have to step up in the room and say, like, boys, like, it's time. Like, it's time to get moving. Like, we all understand, we believe, but we, we got to get going here. When does the switch get flipped from, and, and the Penguins are a big lead-by-example team, right? Like, Sid, uh, Latang, Gino, there's not a lot of, unless you're in the playoffs and things are at a certain point, it doesn't feel like anyway, from my untrained eye, that they're going to stand up in the room and start, you know, throwing down gauntlets and challenges. They're more of a, hey, I'm going to go out and bust my ass. Now it's your job to follow. Um, when you have that kind of leadership in place, when does it? When do you recognize that the switch has to get flipped and it does have to become a, a, a vocal leadership move in the room rather than, hey, I'll just go out and bust my rear end and they'll follow yeah, I think that's what makes Sid so great as a leader. I think he has the ability to be able to read locker rooms. Um, he he's not afraid to pull a guy aside and be like, "Hey, like, need you to say something tonight? Like, it's it's getting a little stale for me." Um, you know, all that guy wants to do is win, and his work ethic and practice, his game. Like, there is not a single person in that room that um, isn't motivated to play, isn't motivated to go through a wall for their leadership group. So, um, I think that will also come from the top as far as like where the message needs to be heard, what the message is, and and how they have how how they go about things moving forward. Now, with I, I kind of look at this next four game segment as as a big one coming out of the break. Obviously, Colorado, a, a big time opponent at home, one of the favorites in the Western Conference, and then the three game trip out west that we talked about a little bit last week: Kings, Ducks, Sharks. Two of those games, I look at you got to win. I know you had to go to OT to beat the Ducks last month, but you should win. The Sharks are tearing things down as we speak, becoming even worse as the trade deadline approaches, or at least reducing the amount of talent available to them. So I look at it as a fan from, hey, give me a minimum, bare minimum on this four-game segment is four points in the standings. Five is is more like is more like it, I'll be satisfied with. And if you can somehow get six out of these next four games, then I'll feel like we've turned the corner, so to speak, and things are back on track. Um, how do you look at it with Colorado, LA, Anaheim, and San Jose sitting on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I actually like if I'm a player and I know the guys are probably thinking the same way, like they love that they get a chance to play Colorado after the break, right? Like the the mentality of probably us sitting on the sidelines is like, oh, man, we could use that San Jose game to get back in the groove here after break. Like, no, let's go after the beast. Let's go after the dragon right away. Let's play it and then let's get moving on. So uh, I think this is an awesome test. They're at home, um, you know, a, a little bit of a break. Guys getting away, coming back. Um, I think this is an awesome test for this team. And 
Uh, I think they're mature enough to not look too far ahead and to say, like, you know, we're going on a road trip. Like, no, we got to take care of business at home on Tuesday. I think this one game to me um, is arguably ju like just as important as the next three, because I think this sets the tone for what type of hockey team the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be um, coming off the All-Star break. And, and I'll be honest, like we look at the standings, like, of course, we're hard on this team because we have expectations of them. Like right. they're, they're 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 in a good spot. Like, it's not like this the season's over, but you're right. This this road trip, this game against Colorado, like this sets the stage for like what type of Pittsburgh Penguins team are we going to have coming down the stretch? Well, yeah, you know, I was talking to Jenna Harner last week, last Friday, and she, she, you know, just mentioned the bare math sitting in front of them. But it's a really good point to remind ourselves of because they've got games in hand on a few teams and they're, and they're right on Washington's heels. If they could find a way to leapfrog Washington, OK, that'll get you into the first wild card spot. But then all of a sudden, you know, and understandably, I think that the Devils have the Canucks tonight at home. The Rangers have the Flames tonight at home. So they pro they've probably got points in the standings that they'll gain on the Pens. But if you can start, you know, sort of just chipping away at it, you know, you've got four games in hand on the Caps, pass them first. And then once you pass them and you're within a couple weeks of shouting distance of the trade deadline, maybe you can start to chase down the Rangers. And before you know it, if you can get out of those wild card spots and start to look at a first round matchup in your division, against the Devils or the Rangers. Well, that, that I think would change things, but you're right. It all starts with the avalanche busting out of the, the break tonight. And it's, it's a really good point you make. Like as fans, we look at it and go, man, just get, give me the ducks or the sharks, please. So these guys can find their feet. But if you want to see if, if these guys took advantage of the break and they're really, truly ready, Colorado's the test that you want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like we talk about <clears throat> preparation is going to be key. You get a home game. Um, let's let's just see how motivated, how determined we are as a hockey team to feel like, all right, we got away. We we know that we've had some unacceptable um, type of games coming into the break. Like, let's just show ourselves because ultimately, like as a team, they're trying to prove to themselves. They they could really care less about us, but as as entertainers, like of course we we are concerned and care a whole lot about what our local teams doing. But they want to prove to each other, like we're here, we're here, we're ready. Like we're, we're, we're a legit contender and we don't want to just be looked at as a bubble team. Um, when you go to the the road trip type thing, like I agree with you, like four points is almost just like, okay, we went out there. We, we did what we needed to do when we got back. Uh, I look at it like you, like good, great, amazing, like four five and six points. They come back with six points. Um, they get the devils. Uh, they play the Islanders, the devils back to back. They get, you know, a couple of those big games going into that. Like, now we're playing home game against New Jersey. We've just run off a couple really solid games, some wins, and, like, let's get moving up the standings. So what do you think the plan is? They're flying out on Wednesday night, I believe it is, after practice. They'll have all day Thursday in L.A., um, including a practice that day. So what's, you know, I imagine this is prime opportunity for the team dinner, uh, the credit cards go in the hat, all that kind of stuff. Um it, Who's the one that organizes that? Who's the guy that says, "Hey, boys, we gotta let's let's get out and get get together tonight"? And and is it Sid? Is it somebody else? How's that work? Yeah, that that kind of changes, right? It all changes. Um, the culture of teams kind of adapt year to year. Like you look at a guy like Jeff Petrie in Montreal, like he may have been a catalyst for making sure families are getting together, but now he's on a new team. Like Carter, same thing. One of the veteran guys. Um, I, I just think they have a great mix of veterans young and kind of those intermediate uh, intermediate like prime players that um i'm sure someone's taking care of arrangements and it, 
and just kind of to kind of give the, the the listener the perspective of kind of how the like the, the NHL level works. Like in junior hockey, you you basically eat, sleep, play hockey with all your junior teammates because you're teenagers, right? You go to the American Hockey League. You have about three to five guys who have kids, and then eighteen guys go to dinner every single day, lunch every day, and practice every day. So once you get to the NHL, when you know everybody wants to believe like this team is completely bonded and they all love each other, which is true, but you know, more than half the team's married, more than half the team has kids. So these guys at home pretty much wake up, either bring their kids to school, go to the rink for practice, head home with their families. They don't truly have a whole lot of time to just like sit back and like just enjoy each other's company and help bring the group together. So I think that's what's so important about this road trip. Like you talked about, like they're going to go out there Wednesday, they're going to have team breakfast together, team lunch together, team dinners together. Like this is a great opportunity for this group to get as close as they're ever going to get throughout the season. And that's why I think sometimes teams play their best hockey on some of these road trips and really try to find themselves in their identity of who they want to be. So I think this is an, an awesome time for this team to just get away uh, they did the whole thing with their families, so it's, let's get away, let's take care of it. It's a business trip, but at the same time, like let's grow uh, as a team as well. Well, it's funny. I, some of the things that come to mind, because I heard Hextall talk the other day about, uh, he was asked about Evgeny Malkin specifically, and he talked about, you know, uh, Gino's kind of straight-laced around me. This is Hextall speaking, but I know he can be a little mischievous in the room, and he's one of the guys having fun, keeping the group together. Um, and it got me to thinking about, you know, I remember some of the old inside uh, Penguins hockey shows on what was then FS1, it's now AT&T, where you'd see the classic pranks. You'd see like Flower take somebody's entire hotel room and set it up in the hallway, for example. So what, who, what, what give me one prank story from Eric Tangrady's days in the league that may, that just eclipses all of them. Who, who was it, if you could share names, because who knows how wild it got. Um, but what, what's the best prank Eric Tangrady saw on the road? Well, I, there was a lot of, I mean, really good ones, like some that were just like, you know, I've seen guys get their suits cut in half and they had to walk out of the rink in basically suit shorts. Um, <laughs> I've seen guys' toes or their, their dress shoes cut off so they make a nice, really nice pair of dress shoes look like moccasin sandals. <laughs> um, I don't want to give names on that, but like one of my favorite pranks that I ever got was uh, the day I got traded from the Penguins to the Jets, the next game we both played was the Penguins versus the Jets. So it was the first game after I got traded. So when you get traded, you just get basically sent into the hotel of the new city you're playing in until you have time to find a place. Well, mm -hmm. it turns out like I was in the Fairmont and the Penguins were staying at the Fairmont. So the day after I get traded, I get like a knock on my door, like 530 and I open my door and it's a full trash can full of water. And as I open the door, the whole thing pours all over my feet and into my room. So I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, you're 20, whatever year old kid, like the emotions of being traded. Like the last thing you're doing is like laughing. You're as intense right. as you'll ever be. You're a little bit ticked off. You're excited. I open the door and I get this whole trash can full of water all over my legs, my body, my whole room soaked. So I just stand out in the hallway and all I hear is this little giggle. I hear a giggle again <laughs> and I walk over and it's flower. He gives me a big hug and he's like, you think you're off the hook just because you got traded, kid? Like, no way. Um, and to me, it was like the greatest thing in the world. It just shows like, you know, yes, this business is competitive. It's nasty. But like at the end of the day, we're just boys that love to play the game. hockey. And the first thing that Marc-Andre Fleury wanted to do after I got traded was find my hotel room, fill up an entire trash can full of water 
and tilted on my door so that when I opened it, I got absolutely soaked. So um, that's the type of stuff. Like when you talk about like Malkin being laid back, like when I think about him, like he is loves the like, cocky is so fun to him. He's intense. He wants to win, but like he always has a smile on his face and he brings energy in that aspect of a room. Like you have your more serious guys, you have your laid back guys. And I think that balance uh, is really important for, for, for teams to like, you know, if we feel they're in a tough stretch right now, like, Sometimes guys want to hang their heads low and feel bad for themselves. Like, no, you can guarantee Gino's coming to the rink with a smile, like telling jokes and is excited to get on the ice for practice. Did you give Flurry a little snowplow the next little spray the, the, the next night? Or what? I mean, a little, little, little fun <laughs> run at the flower after that? Well, it was, uh, that game was like so intense. It was like so much hitting and it was a close game. And then I just like go to the net front and he's just like big smile on his face. Like talk about a little, a, a grown man that was in a little, you know, a little boy in a grown man's body. Like the right. way he played goalie in the, in the biggest moments, in the biggest games. Like that's the first thing he wanted to tell me after a whistle to face. I was like, how, how, you still wet, buddy? Like awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome experience. So great. Uh, great stuff, Tango. Uh, I'll let you run. Thanks for a couple minutes today. We'll catch you up again on Wednesday. We'll actually have a game to bring breakdown uh and the first of 33 down the stretch here for the pens thanks for making the time we'll catch up later in the week okay yeah looking forward to it. i got that i got a 4-3 pens win tomorrow night we're going to discuss that 4-3 win on wednesday all right i like it that would be a huge way to start the stretch run i like it thanks eric you got it. talk to you soon this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff, episode three, getting you ready for Penn's Avalanche, the start of the stretch run, the final 33 games of the season. I'm Chris Mack. Evan Rawl of Colorado Hockey now on the way in just a couple minutes. Thanks to Eric Tangrady for joining as he does a couple times a week. Pleased to be joined now by Seth Rohrbaugh, who, as you can hear if you're listening, is at the UPMC Lemieux Complex in Cranberry after the Penguins practice uh and a pretty long practice Seth right like they scrimmaged a little bit at the end there I thought I saw yeah there were like two sessions it, it was almost a little bit similar like a, like a training camp practice uh you know where it goes on and, you know they actually had like a intermission if you will where you know the Zambonis came out and cleaned the ice a bit so uh and then they worked on some like five on five stuff and power play stuff in the second half the first half was a little bit more skill oriented you know just like little drills run with balls and you know, obstacles on the ice and things like that. So it was a lengthy practice, you know, and, and understandably so, given the lengthy break they've had here. So, um, but uh, no, it looks like they're they're trying to tune themselves up here uh, for you know, at least at the very least, you know, Colorado on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, way to break into the final third or you know half of the season. Uh, you get the reigning Stanley Cup champs. Um, did it feel like there was a little more intensity to it? Do you get that sense? Uh, with this team as they come back from the break that maybe they understand the position they're in and the need to get off the Eastern Conference bubble? I think a better way to maybe explain it would be maybe a little bit more clarity or maybe just a little bit of a fresh air. Um, you know, they, I think, you know, one player I talked to today, I think it was Jeff Petrie said, yeah, this break came at the right time for them. They were 
you know, scuttling a little bit there towards the end there going to the break. And obviously, that loss to San Jose was just ugly. Um, I, I think for them, it just gives them a reset point. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure they're any more intense or anything like that. Uh, uh, maybe just a little bit more focused on what they need to do and, and things like that and how to execute their system, play within the confines, color within the line, whatever cliche you want to use. Um, I, I think they really needed the break. You know, obviously, you know, there's some physical benefits. Guys, the injured guys like Casper Cap and Josh Archibald get a little bit healthy, but I think for, for the bulk of the group here, just getting a mental break here for a week or so, um, can do some good for them. They certainly seem to have a, a more upbeat attitude than they had maybe as they lurched into the break. You know, as we've talked about it over the last week or so, uh, Eric Tangrady and I talked to Jesse Marshall last week. Um, I, I get the sense from a lot of people that they're willing to grant Ron Hextall this next week or so coming out of the break, Colorado, and then the three games out West as sort of a, hey, let's see if the boys can get it together in the next four games. And if they can't, you really need to step on the gas then. Um, do you get the sense, especially after Ron Hextall spoke yesterday, that he would be willing to, quote-unquote, step on the gas in trade deadline pursuit if they fall flat out west especially? I don't get the sense of anything Ron Hextall says. Uh, and that's <laughs> been kind of the, the status quo for him the past you know three, three years here. I mean, he uh, – uh, he oftentimes just, just doesn't say a lot of uh, with you know, things that have substance as far as how he wants to you know manage his roster and things like that. At least you know before trades and things like that. So um, you know, two years ago he said, "Yeah, I like my roster. We like our depth." And like Jeff Carter showed up at two in the morning uh, last year. You know, oh, we like our roster. We like the roster. And then like a little bit after three p.m. on the trade deadline day, you know, Ricard Raquel came over. So um, whatever he has planned, whatever he's working on, he's not going to tell us. He's not going to broadcast it openly. Um, that's not to say something's imminent. Um, I'm willing to bet he's doing all his due diligence, you know, calling every GM that might be a trade partner, uh, looking at anyone, you know, even if it's something minor, like a, like a 13th forward or something like that, he's going to do his due diligence. So um, I, I think the biggest obstacle for him, as well as just about most teams in the NHL, probably over two-thirds of the league right now, is just there's not a lot of salary cap space right now to work with. I think right now with some guys even on LTIR, or LTIR right now, the Penguins have like 1.3 or something like that in the cap space. So that's just not going to be there when presumably everyone's healthy. That's, you know, not everyone's healthy to be sure, but, um, you know, there's just not a lot of cap space. That's, and I think that's why we haven't seen many trades league wide. I know the Islanders had the one big trade earlier last week, but um, before that, the biggest trade around the league was Ryan Reeves going to Minnesota and it was basically a trade request. So, um, you know, there's still some lingering effects here with the pandemic that I think are dictating not just what the Penguins are doing, but the vast majority of the league right now. And, um, I just don't know how active this trade market is going to be league-wide, not just with the Penguins, uh, but league-wide uh, as March 3rd approaches. Well, and you mentioned the, the cap is the biggest part of this, but Ron Hextall was asked yesterday point blank, would you consider moving out uh, that first-round pick in order for someone to take some salary off your hands? And the direct quote was, I would say that's not on the table. I don't see it as being an option for us. Um, I guess my question to you is, if Seth Rohrbaugh were the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, understandably... Maybe terrible. For some, <laughs> for some reason, you're not. I don't. I haven't figured that out yet. But no, I mean, w would you be willing to put that first pick on the table? Because I think when you commit to... When you commit to keeping Crosby, Malkin, Latang in the fold, when you re-sign uh, Gensel and Rust, uh, when you when you bring as much of the team back as they did, and especially the core pieces, when you re-sign uh, Ricard Raquel to a lengthy extension, 
you're saying we're here to compete now uh, rather than later. Um, should that first pick be on the table? Is, is it in fact not, or is Ron Hextall just playing poker here? Well, as far as what Ron Hextall is going to do, I mean, that's that's kind of been standard operating procedure for him ever since he got here. I mean, he's kind of said, you know, just aren't you know inclined to give away future assets uh, too often. And, you know, they did it a couple of times with Jeff Carter. I think that there was like a second and a third or, or a fourth or something like that that went there. And Ricard Raquel, you know, so they gave up a, you know, a fairly decent prospect in Kelly Klang there. But um, for the most part, Ron Hextall has been loath uh, to deal away any future assets, and you know, and for good reason. The, the pool's very shallow in terms of their future, their prospect pool right now. So, and hey, Jim Rutherford had you know did that on purpose, and you know, to good results for the most part with two Stanley Cup titles there. But um, as far as what I would do, I mean, I, I just don't see how you make this team better in the immediate future without leaving open that possibility. Um, I mean, obviously, the teams that have the salary cap space, you know, teams like Arizona, Chicago, et cetera, those, those are teams that are rebuilding. Those are teams that would want, you know, a future asset, whether it's a first round pick or someone already in, in the organization. So, um, but as far as uh, him saying uh, that's off the table, I, I'm not terribly surprised by that because that's just how he's operated here for the first three years of his tenure with the team. Um, that's been his approach. Uh, he kind of has a, you know, has to answer to two masters there in terms of keeping the team competitive now, but also, you know, maintaining or building up what's a pretty shallow prospect pool. So it's, it's a tough task, but um, what he said, I, I wasn't terribly surprised by it. So I, I heard this postulated yesterday once it was announced that Hextall was going to be speaking yesterday afternoon. Um, a lot of people worrying about just how long Tristan Jari may be out, how serious his in, upper body injury may be. I know he's been on the ice the past couple of days and was – apparently rehabbing and working out during the break as well. But is there a chance that they look at adding another goaltender to the mix? Uh, perhaps a hockey trade, Casey DeSmith out, someone else in. Uh, Hextall didn't seem entirely elated with Casey DeSmith's work to this point in the year. The numbers haven't been great either. Is that something we could see happen in your opinion? I'd be surprised if it did. Um, and I asked Ron Hexel, you know, point blank, just, you know, how do you assess your goaltending this year? And he, he kind of softened the answer for both of them, saying uh, that their play has been affected by the team's overall play. And that's, that's not to say that's not valid, but um, I also think it's it's fair to say uh, of the two of them, Casey Smith probably hasn't lived up to whatever the expectations are of him. So um, at the same time, too, you know, I, I you know, there's some metrics out there that show you their defense whenever he's in for whatever reason just isn't nearly as stout. So mm-hmm. um, they definitely can improve there, at least in terms of, you know, if you want to find someone better in Casey to Smith. But I, I think that would almost uh, prevent you from maybe addressing other areas. And most notably, maybe a bottom six forward, a third liner, what have you. So um, they seem willing to write it out here with Casey to Smith. I don't know necessarily that uh, they're looking for any other teams, you know, backup goaltender or a third goaltender or what have you. Um, I just think, you know, with their limited resources, i.e. cap space, I, I, I think they focus more on trying to bring in someone to, to fortify their bottom six uh, well before, you know, any, any other situations go, barring any other further injuries uh, to either player there. Do you get the sense that they'll give Kapanen and Archibald? He, he seems very high on Josh Archibald. I heard his name mentioned three or four times during yesterday's press conference that they'll give those guys the opportunity to plug into the lineup over the next week or so and perhaps prove that they don't need to chase that bottom six talent? Or do you get the sense that Hextall understands they need to chase that bottom six maneuver anyway? 
Uh, as far as Josh Archibald, I, he's not their most valuable player by any stretch of the imagination, but he's probably the most unique player just given that he's the only guy that really hits consistently, uh, agitates consistently, just just plays with an edge consistently. I mean, Jason Zucker does to a certain extent, but uh, not necessarily always at the expense of you know his offensive abilities. Um, you know, Josh Archibald's their only guy like him on their roster. Uh, you know, really, I mean, a lot of you know their problems with their bottom six have really been amplified ever since he left the lineup. I think on December 18th, I think is when he last plays most recent game. So, um, again, not their most valuable player, but their most unique, and they, they just don't have another one like him. Uh, and you know, you look at the numbers. He led the team in hits, I think, uh, when he before he left the lineup. He also led the team in drawn penalties before he left the lineup. And you know, by the way, he did it with only maybe like 10 minutes of ice time per game. Lowest among their you know top twelve forwards, however you want to define that. So um, again, he's a guy that's a contributor. Um, he's not going to you know break any offensive records or anything like that, but he can chip in a few goals here and there. And, um, again, I think you know you can see him make a subtle difference. Not he's not going to make or break their roster, but he, he can make some subtle differences uh, with various contributions on this lineup uh, whenever he's healthy and available. As far as Casper Kapanen goes, I I just think they're just going to you know keep putting him out there and you know, giving him every, every, every chance to fail. He's taken up a lot of those chances. Uh, but uh, even if it's just sporadic, I mean, you do get occasional goals from him. He had that hat trick game, uh, I think, back late November, early December. Um, you do get some things there. I mean, he's, you know, he's on the second power play unit. So, and also they have a, you know, a decent cap hit invested in 3.2 million. So, um, they're going to give him every opportunity to, to pass or fail here. Uh, I'm probably leaning towards fail, just given his you know history here over the past two seasons. But um, I just don't see them having very many other options as far as who to turn to, at least on their NHL roster, independent of anyone they might have in Wilkes-Barre right now. And obviously, the cap kind of plays a major role in the even minor transactions you know, with your AHL affiliate right now. This might seem like a stupid question, but if they could go back to the summer and do it over, do you think they – would take Evan Rodriguez on one year at two mil as he signed for in Colorado over either Carter or Kapanen? I think so. I mean, that's you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you know, Evan Rodriguez is you know, a much more productive player, a much more uh, uh, resourceful player in terms of just being able to contribute in other areas. I mean, he plays all three forward positions, uh, and is a fairly competent faceoff guy, uh, PK, power play, etc. Um, I, I think at that point, though, um, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think they just kind of resigned to the fact that Evan Rodriguez is probably going to be out of their price range. And um, as it turned out, again, with a, with a low cap, with a limited, you know, salary cap or a flat cap here for the most part, uh, Evan Rodriguez had trouble finding work and ended up having to take kind of like a one year. I don't know the number, but it was a fairly low contract for a guy who produced, you know, fairly good clip at least in the first half of last season. So, um, yeah, if they had known that Evan Rodriguez wouldn't necessarily command what he only got in the open market uh, and ended up signing for in you know, August, late in the late in the off season. Yeah, they probably would have like a redo on that one. But um, at that moment, I think everyone was just kind of resigned to the fact of the idea that Evan Rodriguez was probably going to be out of the side of their price range. You know, would likely command a, a fairly healthy, healthy cap hit. I've heard people ask the question uh, about Mike Sullivan, and Brian Burke was not a fan of that question when he was asked about Mike Sullivan's level of culpability. Uh, in how this team has played or more accurately not played for the inconsistent stretches of this season. He's been asked as well, and he's he's openly admitted, I got to be better. I got to do more to get these guys to play the way I want them to. Is there a sense at all that because this the core of this team has been together so long that his message is wearing off in any way that it is growing stale? I don't think so. I mean, I've been around this team, you know, not the 
you know, pat myself on the back, but I, you know, I've been around this team long enough to see when a coach does lose his message. I, I remember you know, fairly late in the Dan Bowsman's tenure here where players would openly just refuse to go to meetings uh, sometimes. Uh, wow. and, and, you know, to me, that was you know, a pretty clear indication that Dan Bowsman's message uh, you know, was lost. Uh, I don't know if Mike Johnson was ever here even long enough to, to, to go through that, but um, I haven't seen anything remotely close to that uh, here with Mike Sullivan. The big three and you know all the key supplemental parts, you know Brian Runs, Jake Gensel, etc. Um, they're all still bought in. And again, hey, maybe there's just some natural you know tendencies to kind of tune things out here or there a little bit. But um, I haven't seen you know much evidence that it's anything substantial or prolonged where um, they're tuning him out or just ignore him or ignoring him or anything like that. Um, and, and hey, you know over the course of 82 games, you know. You have to find ways to maybe kind of you know redo that message or, or deliver it a different way, but uh, no, I for, I think for the most part everyone here, uh, the key pieces at least, are all still bought in and still fairly attuned to what Mike Sullivan has to say. And uh, yeah, the execution obviously needs to be a little bit better. And you know, you know that San Jose game was a perfect example of that. But uh, no, I, I, I don't see any way, shape, or form where Mike Sullivan's uh, doesn't necessarily have the the command of everyone here, at least the important players here. Seth, before I let you run, um, you you mentioned it, but it's true. It's not a pat on the back of yourself. You've been covering this team for a long time, since we were both much younger versions of ourselves. <laughs> um, and You're the I'm first just, one that had me on the radio uh, way back when. Well, You're older, golf, former player. So. Golf clap for me. Look at that. Uh, I saw the greatness in you, um, but like I, I, I'm just because I, I I do want to ask people this when I get the chance to, and I have you. So for, for those that have just known Seth Rohrbaugh as a byline over the last what 20 years now, almost 15, 20 years, what led to you getting into it? I remember you starting the Empty Netters blog and thinking what a cool thing it was that somebody would sit there and break down basically in the same way I would look at it everything that happened in the NHL the night before. Um, including making jokes about the funny stuff, sharing clips and highlights, which back then I can't imagine how much work went into it because the league wasn't <laughs> providing them. You were going, YouTube was was in its infancy then. Uh, and, and what's kept you coming back, despite the fact that we all know what the media business is like and what the journalism, sports journalism business is like? Um, I just don't want a real job. I think that's <laughs> probably the best way to. You want I don't the think club. I don't think I'm qualified for a lot of real jobs. Uh, I, I, you know, at one point in time, I think I applied for a part-time groundskeeping job at Flight 93 Memorial up in Shanksville. And I was told I did not have the necessary education to, be, to cut grass or shovel snow. So, <laughs> um, literally, I, I got back a form letter from the federal government telling me that. So, um, oh, no, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a blessed life, even if, you know, you know, you have a lot of inconveniences and there's just a lot of tough economic realities with every media job right now, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a blessed life. I live a comfortable life. Uh, and, uh, I, mean, I see a lot of colleagues, you know, necessarily, you know, dealing with all those tough realities right now, but, um, no, I just, um, it's, it's, it's a great job. It's a dream job in a lot of ways. And, um, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that I might not always be, be able to, you know, conclude it on my, on my own terms, but, uh, while I can, I'm just going to enjoy it and do everything I can to keep it. Well, keep up the great work, my friend. I love catching up with you. Um, and uh, you're always invited back whenever you feel like it, especially if you can find uh, a noisier environment. Just got to avoid these long practices up here in Cranberry, that's all. Tell Mike Sullivan to pick up the pace next time with the post-skate availability so we can get you on. Uh, thanks again, Seth. It was great to catch up with you, man. I'll talk to you soon. I'll probably see you at the morning skate here in the next day or two. Sounds good, Chris. Be well, man.
This is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. So, congratulations, Pittsburgh Penguins. Welcome back into Fifth Avenue Faceoff, by the way. Episode three, as we get going, the first game of 33 out of the All-Star break for the Pittsburgh Penguins just so happens to be against the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, no problem there. I hope you're ready to go, boys. Hit the ground running. Uh, and here to join us to talk about the Avalanche. He covers them for Colorado Hockey now, Evan Rawl. Evan, thanks for making some time today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to go to the source to find out just how the Penguins are supposed to handle Colorado. You know, I, I talked with Eric Tangrady earlier. He joins me a couple times a week. Um, and from a coach's perspective, which he coaches high school now and obviously played in the league, he said, you know, if you've got to try to take one or the other away, certainly understanding there's a bunch of great second tier talent available as well. Uh, Kale McCarr is on the ice for about 25 minutes a night. So you do everything you can to try and take Kale McCarr away and hope that Nathan McKinnon doesn't burn you in the process. So I'll ask you, McKinnon is on fire since coming back from an injury uh, at the turn of the calendar. I think 20 points in 14 games, something like that. McCarr is, well, McCarr, nine-game point streak, best defenseman in the league right now. So what are other teams trying to do that maybe the Penguins could take a crack at in trying to take one or both of these guys away or at least limit them somewhat? It's interesting because it, it used to be McKinnon and Rantanen were combined now. So now the as have spread out even more where Rantanen's on his own line and he's having a tremendous year. So teams are just having a tough time kind of handling things over the last, you know, they've won eight of nines now that they've kind of spread things out. So um, McKinnon is probably the guy you want to focus on because McCarr is having a good season, but he's not having anywhere near the season he had last year, which was special uh, just from the start of the season to the end of the playoffs. So it's McKinnon's on a roll right now. And the way he's doing it is actually a little bit surprising because He's a heavy shot guy. He shoots a lot, but his playmaking this year has been incredible. And he's been doing it with a lot of different guys, including Evan Rodriguez, who you guys know very well. But um, he's he's making everyone around him better. So right now, I would say he's probably the guy to focus on. And um, I mean, as for what other teams can do, good luck. I mean, when he gets speed going through the neutral zone, he's very difficult to stop. And you know, he gets up for these matchups against Sidney Crosby. He really does. Yeah. I was, I, you know, it's funny and we'll get to Evan Rodriguez in a couple minutes, but you bring up Crosby and then it, it strikes me from a distance anyway, because we don't get to see a lot of McKinnon that personality wise, they seem very similar. I don't know if it's something from growing up in Nova Scotia, that part of the world, whatever it may be, but I, I see Nathan McKinnon on the ice, like up to and including the sort of uh, ho-hum attitude towards the All-Star game where he's standing there looking around like, oh, I'm supposed to be introduced now. Okay, I guess I'll skate out. Um, you know, th little things like that. Like, he just seems so, I guess, humble's the word, but unassuming, you know, much like Crosby is still to this day. So what are, some, I guess, some of the off-ice personality style similarities that you see between these two that have lent McKinnon to being the sort of calm, level-headed, even keeled leader that he is for the avalanche uh well it's interesting because he's he's very intense he's a very mm -hmm. intense guy I, I i mean i haven't been around Sidney crosby so i can't say but nate is very intense he will you know if he's not happy with something in practice he's gonna he's gonna tell his teammates and his sticks often you know <laughs> he face the brunt of that where he'll throw sticks into the into the boards and the stands oh, wow. he's 
he's a very intense guy. Um, and, you know, we thought, hey, he won a Stanley Cup. Maybe he's going to calm down a little bit. And it hasn't been that way. And I think that's the Crosby part in it, where it's just like, okay, I won one. I, I want more. Right. And that intensity and, you know, he he, he really doesn't he's, – he's a hockey guy. He doesn't think about other things. He likes golf a lot, but he mainly just thinks about hockey. And I think that intensity and just wanting to be the best is what he's getting from Crosby and – um it's it's been really interesting because i mean they got to know each other at a really young age for nate and um it's it's i can't imagine you have a better mentor than Sidney crosby for him and mm-hmm. he, he's definitely taken a lot from him yeah it, it's it's funny you mentioned he's a hockey guy that's what he thinks about first and foremost every single day i was just talking about that with eric with uh about evgeny malkin and and sid's similar in that as well you know that it it's like a lot of us just presume, I think, once we start to sit down and think about, oh, well, hockey's their job. Once they get away from the rink, they probably don't think about their job too much. Like, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people, if you're an accountant, you go home, you don't sit there and bust out a spreadsheet for fun necessarily. But for these guys, hockey is life. That's how you get to this point and get as good as they are. So not a surprise there that Nathan McKinnon much like Crosby, much like a Malkin, much like any great player, lives, eats, breathes hockey. So you mentioned Evan Rodriguez. Uh, you did a fantastic job for Colorado Hockey Now, uh, a video breakdown of how Evan Rodriguez is finding space on the ice while skating with McKinnon. And you mentioned ranton has got his own line now, McKinnon skating with Rodriguez. You know, we saw Evan Rodriguez here. Uh, have that uncanny ability to move up and down the lineup. Now, there were droughts at times where it didn't matter where he was in the lineup, he wasn't scoring, but there were also incredible hot streaks, like uh, the December before last when he was still here in Pittsburgh. So tell me why the Penguins screwed up in letting Evan Rodriguez walk and how he's been able to fit in with Nathan McKinnon and make the most of it. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for the Penguins. I don't know what kind of contract they offered him, but it sounds like, I mean, the Avs kind of waited it out this summer. They didn't sign him until September, and I think maybe Rodriguez thought he was going to get better offers than he really did. But they they lucked out in that sense, where they got him on a cheap one-year deal. Given their cap situation, it's been great. And he had a slow start to the year while he was adjusting. Um, But he's, like you said, he's been moving up and down the lineup, and in the last month, he's really fit in with McKinnon. And Nate actually said that he's never played with a right shot before. So it's been kind of fun for him to play with a guy like Rodriguez. And um, and actually today at practice, it looked like he might be playing with Ranton in tomorrow. So they keep moving things around. Okay. Um, but the Avs are only going to go with 11 forwards. So they're going to see a lot of mixing and matching. So um, he's going to play with a lot of different guys. But it's mainly – he's a very smart hockey player. I don't know if that kind of shined through when you guys were there, but – he knows where to be on the ice. He'll hold on to the puck that extra second. You know, yep. he, he knows he has more time than, you know, most players think they got to get rid of it right away. Or he's like, you know, I got that extra second I can do here. And he, and he understands how to play with great players that, you know, it's more complimenting them. It's not just, you know, taking it away from them. What struck me, Evan, and you mentioned um, holding on to the puck that, that split second longer than a lot of guys are comfortable doing is um, the, his use of stick angle. And you pointed it out in the video breakdown you did. He'll he'll do something subtle, like change the angle of his stick from, you know, maybe it's it's closed, like he's going to send the puck up high and then opens it up and instead moves the puck towards someone in the low slot. And it's such a subtle maneuver that he does in that extra split second while he's holding on to the puck. 
that it completely changes the dynamics of what's happening in the zone, or he can even do it on the rush. I've seen at times. And I think you're right. It's just, it's that ability. And I don't think we're used to seeing, I guess, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, this is a backhanded compliment of Evan Rodriguez, I guess. We're not used to seeing second tier guys handle themselves with the confidence necessary to do stuff like that. Like you see Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon do stuff like that. You go, oh, well, there are other worldly talents. Of course they're able to do that. To see Evan Rodriguez do it, you go, wait, what? Why is he so comfortable? Why is he so, I guess, loose is the word. Confident is, is mm-hmm. the word, I guess. Yeah, and you mentioned the the stick angles. That's, Jared Bednar has mentioned multiple times that that's something he loves about his game. It's the deception where he, you think the defender thinks he's going one way and he, he passes it the other way. There's a lot of two-on-ones this year where, you know, odds are he's not going to shoot the puck on a two-on-one. Like, we know that, but he he de- he deceives the defenseman into thinking he's going to do it, and then he slides it back door. And, yeah, he's – it's interesting because he's – what, he's going on 30. He's having a late, you know, career breakout here. And you just kind of wonder where was this early in his career? Like, why did it take right. so long? And sometimes it just takes a while for these guys. Like we're seeing in Colorado here with Nachushkin. Sometimes these guys just need the right fit. And Rodriguez is, has been an analytical darling for a couple of years now. And that's one of the things the Avs have really bet on the last few years. So I think that's part of the reason why they were very comfortable going after him. And um, I talked to him today about, you know, he, he loves it in Colorado and he, you know, he's very open to staying here, but, you know, salary cap might have a different idea there. Yeah, I, I just know if if Pittsburgh Penguins fans had their way, I think they'd probably take Evan Rodriguez the way he's playing this year on that $2 million deal he signed in Colorado over, say, uh, the Brock McGinn deal, almost $3 million a year for three years, or even Danton Heinen back on a one-year deal at one mil, or Jeff Carter, who's probably being overpaid at this point in his career. He really has adapted extremely well to Colorado. You mentioned Jared Bednar. Um, so this guy is, uh, he, he lives in South Carolina, spends a lot of time in South Carolina in the off season, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. where he came up playing and coaching in the ECHL. Um, but he is like a feral hog wrestling badass. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's his idea of fun. He's going to go out with a buoy knife in the woods and wrestle down a feral pig in the South Carolina woods and slaughter it right there in the woods. And I'm just like, Again, you mentioned the intensity of McKinnon, but the abs strike me as a very, uh, I don't want to say low key, that's not the right word, but a very even keel team. They always seem to find their level emotionally. Um, It doesn't strike me as a necessarily ruthless team, even though they are extremely good. One of the favorites in the Western Conference and reigning Stanley Cup champs. So how has that that feral hog wrestling badass Jared Bednar <laughs> imprinted that onto this avalanche team uh if at all this personality of well hey whatever it takes and how have you seen it display itself on the ice if you have he's a very McKinnon is very much different from everyone else where Bednar is very even keel like you mentioned um a lot of times you know if the Avs things aren't going their way in a game with the refs you know, I'll get mentions like, why isn't Bednar screaming at the refs? And it's just like, he's not built that way. Like he's just, he's not going to call out the refs. He's just very much like, let's just take care of our business, you know, control what we can control. And the team has really taken that on. He is a, a, an incredible leader. He, he, he takes everything in. He sees everything. He works with the analytic departments. Um, you know, he, he is very much just like a, you know, you mentioned he, he, he lives in South Carolina. We ask him, you know, are you a shovel guy? Or are you a snowblower guy? He goes, oh, I, I tractor. 
I just get all my tractor into that. So he's very much just like a workmanlike guy. Yeah. So um, the team definitely takes on his identity. Uh, he's, I mean, they could have fired him years ago after that horrendous year in 2016 and 17. And the ass knew just, it wasn't fair to him. He got called in late because Patrick Waugh quit a month before the season. Um, and he's just, he's won everywhere. And it's, it's not surprising that he won in the NHL level just because he works and he prepares better than every coach. And, you know, the team takes on that, that identity. you got a few guys who are intense, but for the most part, they just are very much like, Hey, you know, control what we can control. Don't worry about what's out there. and Don't listen to the noise. Well, it's a hell of a test for the Pens to start the stretch run coming out of the All-Star break, the first of their final 33 games, the Avalanche coming to town. Um, thanks for giving us, Evan, uh, a little bit of a, a Colorado perspective on this team. Mm-hmm. Again, Western Conference, we don't get to see them a lot. Uh, and when we do, it's fleeting. So really appreciate all your insight. Again, Colorado Hockey Now, if you like Evan's stuff, which I did uh, when, I, when I first checked it out, continues to be very good. And uh, we'll even excuse the fact that you are so horrifically <laughs> wrong about the hierarchy of Pearl Jam albums. I saw you tweet out uh, like a week ago that Yield is the best Pearl Jam album, when in reality, the rest of the world, including myself at the front of the line, understand that it's really only the fourth best Pearl Jam album. <laughs> I, uh, well, I got my Eddie Vedder hat on now. So <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, I've always been a fan of those middle years, like the, the okay. No Code Yield by Gnarl. Uh, maybe that's because that's when I became a fan, but I just feel like that's, and I think a Jack Irons on drumming, I think his unique sound kind of led to that, but yeah, I, I like that. It seemed like the band was all working together as opposed to one or two guys contributing everything. It's like, I, I've heard this theory before that your favorite version of something, whether it's, you know, style of clothes, you know, fashion, whether it's music, whatever it is, is always from the time when you felt like you were at your peak. And so mm-hmm. mine is from like the high school years for me of the mid to early or mid to late nineties. So that's why I'm a, I'm a 10 versus Vitology guy. So I understand you're a no code yeah. yield by normal guy. It yeah. works well, out. Makes sense. I have, Vitology is my number two. Behind okay. you. So I do love Vitology. All right. Then we'll, we'll agree to agree on that much yeah. then. Evan Rowell, uh, go ahead, check all this stuff out at Colorado hockey now. And again, thanks for the time today, man. We really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Evan Rowell of Colorado Hockey. Now, great stuff from him on Nathan McKinnon, the fiery nature, and the fact that really everybody else in that Avalanche organization seems to be somewhat even-keeled and level-headed, but then a bad practice or a bad game or two, and McKinnon's firing sticks all over the ice. Great stuff from Seth Rohrbaugh joining us from uh, the Lemieux Complex in Cranberry, talking about where the Pens are at right now, and the fact that it increasingly feels like Ron Hextall is not in a hurry to do anything. Stop me if you've heard that before. We'll see how things may change over the next week or so as they've got the avalanche coming out of the break. And then the importance of those three games out West. Thanks again to Eric Tangrady for joining us, uh, telling us some great stories about Marc-Andre Fleury and the pranks he would pull on the road and just how important it is to this team to come together and gel right now out on the road. And again, I think it's probably six points out of these next four games, Colorado and the three road games combined, the three West games on the West Coast combined. Get six points out of those four games. I think you feel really good about a turnaround beginning, uh, heading down the stretch run. Four points, you'll you'll take it. And, you know, that's bare minimum. But um, certainly you'd like to see the Pens start to find something. They better find it with the Avalanche uh, coming to Pittsburgh fresh out of the break episode four 
will be on your way uh, if you've subscribed and do so inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure you're getting new episodes as soon as we post them. There will be another one after the Avalanche game leading into that West Coast trip. We'll talk to some people out West to preview the Ducks and the Kings uh, and get you ready for what is an interesting three-game road trip, hopefully made a little less interesting so by a win over the Avalanche if we can knock on wood and hope that that's the case. Thanks again for joining Fifth Avenue Faceoff.